The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks for who you are, that you're good, and that uh, we know that we can trust in you, that we don't have to have everything figured out, but we can rely on you. We know that you're in heaven and in authority. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, guys, if we have not met, my name is Cole Simpson. I'm on our lead team, so excited to get to be with you guys tonight and continue our series in Ephesians. So if uh, you haven't been with us, we've been in a little bit of a mini-series within Ephesians that's kind of like a series about relationships. So two weeks ago, Tim talked about husbands and wives and how husbands should love their wives like Christ loves the church and wives should respect their husband. And then last week, Aunt came and talked to us about children and parents and how parents need to love and discipline their children and uh, kids need to honor their parents. And so tonight we're going to talk about employees and bosses. And so in each of these relationships, Paul's teasing out this idea of authority. In every relationship, there's this idea of authority and submission. And before he gets into any of this, before he talks about any of these relationships, he sets a foundation in Ephesians 5. And I just think it's important for us to remember that before we start with tonight's text. So in Ephesians 5 verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before he says anything, before he tells people to submit and to obey, he says, our general consensus as believers, all of our default should be that we default to other people's preferences. All of us should go around submitting to one another and caring more about what you want, what you desire, than what I desire. And Paul's kind of saying two things there. He's saying, first of all, As a believer, your life is not about you. It's never about you. Whether you're in authority or not in authority, your life is never going to be your story. It is Jesus' story through you. And then two, he talks about this idea of all of us, whether we're in authority or out of authority, are actually under the authority of God. So even if you have the ability to make decisions, your decisions should be to the glory of God. They shouldn't be for your glory or for your preferences. And so tonight, we're going to kind of continue with this idea of what does this look like in a relationship that most of us are familiar with, bosses and employees. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, like Bethany read, to Ephesians 6, verse 5, that's where we'll start. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Let's stop there, because I think that that takes a little bit of time for us to explain. So I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word bond servants, I'm not just like, yeah, employees and bosses. Absolutely. Same thing. Um, And so maybe depending on your translation, this actually might say slave. Slave, obey your masters. 
And so I think it's important for us to talk about what Paul is saying here, what, what is happening in this context. So it's important for us to know that for us, when we hear the word slavery, we think of the American slave trade. We think of the last 300 years and what slavery has looked like in America. In this context, when Paul uses the word bondservant or slave, he's talking about a totally different system, okay? So when he uses the word slave, he's talking about slavery that is based usually because of war. So somebody fought somebody else and they lost, and so now their people is a slave to the other person's people, or debt. If you're in really bad debt, then you can sell yourself into slavery in order to pay off that debt to your debt owner, to the person who you owe the money. But slaves in this period and slaves that we think of were totally different. So slaves in this period most often received a wage. They got paid something, and they could actually buy themselves out of slavery over time. They were allowed to own property. There was never any doubt that they were not human, right? So that's an important distinction. In this time period, when Paul uses the word slave, everybody would affirm the Imago Dei. Everybody would say, well, we know that these people are made in the image of God. No one would think these slaves are property like our forefathers would have thought. And so what Paul is not doing, and I just want to be clear because I know that this can be confusing, what Paul is not doing is affirming slavery, we are not affirming slavery. The Bible does not affirm slavery. And let me just go even step further and say the history of our nation is one of the greatest acts or one of the greatest sin acts against a people group that we've ever seen. And both the Bible and Paul would, over no questions asked, totally condemn that as an act. What Paul is talking about actually does look a lot more like a boss-employee relationship. It's not exactly the same. A bondservant couldn't say, I don't like this job, so I'm going to leave. But they had certain privileges and rights. So it's just a different thing. And I want to, from the beginning, say, hey, I don't want this to be confusing. These are not the same. Does that make sense? Great. Awesome. Then I did my job. So let's keep reading. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So what Paul tells employees or what Paul tells bond servants, and from this point I'm just going to say employees, is obey and honor your boss. Obey and honor your boss. So we see that in verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters. And then he uses this phrase, with fear and trembling. So this phrase is pretty common throughout uh, the Bible, and it uh, was used in the Old Testament when people were talking to or relating to God, right? So they said you should approach the throne of God with fear and trembling. And what that means, what that looks like is this idea of because he has an authority, because God has authority, there is a certain amount of honor or respect that he is due, regardless of anything else. So what Paul is saying is your boss, regardless of anything else, deserves a level of obedience and honor. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this verse... There's, it's just such an interesting command to me because I just want to add a few words, 
right? So I want to say, obey and respect your boss or obey and honor your boss as long as, right? As long as they're competent. As long as they should have the job, like they actually know what they're doing and they're not an idiot. Uh, Obey and honor your boss as long as they respect me, as long as they respect my time, know what I am worth, know that they should talk to me in a certain way. Obey and honor your boss as long as I agree that they should be my boss and I think highly of them and they deserve my trust. Obey and honor my boss as long as they respect my time outside of work. Obey and honor my boss, fill in the blank. That's what I want to add because that's how I think in my power idol. But Paul kind of doubles down here. He says, no, obey and honor your boss like it's Jesus. Which is just such a weird thing because what it is saying is Paul is more concerned with our actions than the actions of those in authority over us. He's more concerned with our actions than the actions of those in authority over us. Growing up, I, uh, I was pretty argumentative as a child. I don't do it anymore, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> for those of you that don't know me, I do do it. Uh, but I was pretty argumentative as a child, and I had this weird thing where I was really good at arguments. And so my mom, in kind of trying to, when she would argue with me, I would blame shift, but I would do it in a way that was uh, hard to argue against. So I would basically say something to the lines, along the lines of, Oh, I would have done my job. I would have done the thing I was supposed to do, but this person basically made it impossible for me to do what I was supposed to do. So because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, that's why I didn't do what I was supposed to do, et cetera, et cetera. That was mostly my logic. And so my mom started asking me this question, did I ask about them? I'm asking about you. So when I read this passage and my initial sinful response is, obey and honor your boss as long as... I can imagine Paul looking at me with so much gentleness and humility and saying, Cole, did I ask about your boss? I'm asking about you. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Let's take it out of a funny, childish uh, kid example and put in a real world example. So a few years ago, I was in a job and I'd had a really couple hard months, both personally, professionally, And I probably was not doing as good of a job as I should have been, just to be honest. But kind of felt like it didn't matter because of what was going on in my personal life. And so I sat down for this eval, six-month eval, and for about an hour and a half, my bosses just laid into me. And they were like, you need to be better or you'll be fired. It was a lot of fun. Really loved the conversation. And so I got out of the meeting... And I talked to some friends around me, and I kept saying things like, they would ask, well, were they right? Were they right that you're not doing your job? I said, but it doesn't matter if they were right, because the way that they reacted, the way that they handled me being wrong, it doesn't even matter if I was wrong. And my loving friends over and over again said, I think it is probably more important for you to focus on the fact that you were wrong. And maybe they were wrong too. Maybe they were off. But I don't know if that is your responsibility to worry about. I think your responsibility, I think what you are called to worry about is what does the Bible command us to do? What does the Bible command us to do? So we can't control what anybody else does. 
We can't control what anybody else does, but we can control when our boss is being an absolute jerk and then us and our employees start to gossip. We can control whether we stay there and gossip or we say we're not going to do that. We're not going to be a part of that, right? We can control when we get paid for 40 hours a week, but now we work remote, so who knows when we work. We can control whether we actually do our job or we watch the Bo Burnham special for the seventh time, hypothetically. Hypothetically. It's amazing. Um, we can control what we do. We can control whether we honor the people that God has called us to honor. We can control whether we do what God has called us to do. And I don't like that. I immediately want to say, God, what about them? What about them? How are we not talking to them? Why is it always about me? Why are we talking about what I need to do and how I need to be better? And again, I just lovingly think of Paul or my mom looking at me and saying, my primary concern is not the other person. My primary concern is not the other person. It's you. And the reality is that we serve a God who is sovereign. So we get to trust God do what we can do, and believe that he'll handle the rest. So number one is honor and, respect, honor and obey your boss. Number two, work for Christ, not for you. So with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So what Paul's trying to do there is he's actually trying to free us up. He's trying to give us a different framework on how to think about our jobs. Let me, let me show you. What Paul is saying is you work for Jesus, not for man. We work for Jesus. If we are believers, if we believe that Jesus has come and lived and he is our Savior, then we work for Jesus and not for man. And so here are just some questions that I think we can consider as employees, just to check ourselves, just to ask if we are doing what we are supposed to be doing. Number one, what is my primary motivation for work? What is my primary motivation for work? Paul pretty clearly in the passage says, it shouldn't be for people to like you, think highly of you, or status, right? He pretty immediately takes that away. If the primary reason you do your job is for status, a paycheck, so that people will like you, then you're actually missing why you're called to that job. The primary motivation for your job should be to honor God. It should be that Jesus in his ultimate authority has put you where you are supposed to be, and even though we don't know exactly what is going on, he has a plan, and you being there, doing your job to the best of your ability, and glorifying God every day is working together to glorify all things for his kingdom. That should be our ultimate motivation for our job. We should have a sincere heart. It shouldn't be about whether people see what we're doing or whether we get our reward. And our second question, I think, is how does my work reflect on the kingdom of God? How does my work reflect on the kingdom of God? If you are a Christian, then people know, hopefully, that you are a Christian. And so everything you do points back to your Father. Everything. Even how you do your job. 
And so absolutely, what I'm not saying is that we should do this type of mission where we never tell people we're believers and we never have conversations about Jesus. We should have conversations about Jesus. We should seek that out. We should invite people in. But you've got to know that the people around you are looking at what you do. They're looking at how you work. They're looking at how you talk about your boss. They're looking at how you love your coworkers. And all of us should be thinking, how is what I'm doing glorifying? How is it putting back onto the kingdom of God? Because we're called to be the salt and the light. We're called to be the people that make the kingdom of God attractive, the way that we love one another. That's our primary goal. That's our primary motivation for everything we do. Everything else is secondary. And what that means is you get to work wholeheartedly for the Lord even if your boss is terrible. Because it was never about your boss. It was never about your boss. Whether your boss was good, whether your boss gave you what he was supposed to do wasn't even why you were there. You're there because your king wants you there until he wants you somewhere else. And you're going to do your best to glorify him while you're there. And there's so much freedom in that because if my identity isn't in what my boss thinks of me, I can just do my best. And if it goes well, great, awesome. If I get recognized for that, congratulations, fantastic. And if I don't, that's okay because that's not why I was here to begin with. There's so much freedom just to know I'm here as long as God has me here and I'm going to do the best that I can, and that's it. That's all I can control. That's what I've been called to as a believer. Let's keep reading. Ephesians 6, 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So Paul's going to shift his focus from employees to bosses, and he's mainly saying one thing to bosses in the room or to bosses in the church that this would be read over. He's telling uh, bosses, Paul tells bosses, honor your employees. It's very simple. Honor your employees. So in the same way that Paul instructs employees to honor and obey their bosses, he's telling bosses you need to honor your employees. So what does that mean practically? What does it mean to look like to honor your employees? Well, I don't think it means that you're supposed to submit and obey to everything your employees say, right? So just admit, it doesn't make sense. Let's try that again. Chain of command just doesn't make sense. You just can't listen to things, listen to what everyone else says. But you can honor them. You can think of them as a human. You can think of them as more than just a convenience. They're more than just making my job easier. They're a person with a soul who I care about and I want good for, right? Uh, Warren Wearsby says it this way, if the employer expects the workers to do their best for him, he must do his best for them. The master must serve the Lord from his heart. If he expects his servants to do the same, he must not exploit them. Here's another way to say that. If you follow Jesus, there should be definitive moments where your leadership looks different than the world around you. There should be definitive moments that you can point to and the people that can point to and say, that's different because he's a Christian. What that looks like is if you are a boss, your example is Jesus, right? So we look at how Jesus related to his disciples, How did he relate to his disciples? With grace and compassion. Over and over again, forgiving them, teaching them, trying to help them understand. He came to serve, not to be served, right? It was never about him. It was about 
them. The first shall be last. The greatest of the kingdom are the ones who serve, not the ones who are served. Over and over again, Jesus pushes forward this idea that if you are over people, your primary concern should be the love and souls of other people first and what they accomplish second. Both matter. Practically, you have to care about people's job performance, but you shouldn't just care about people's job performance. Uh, I sell shaved ice, and if you want to know how you sell shaved ice, I promise it's going to get there, I promise. If you want to know how you sell shaved ice, basically ice and sugar, that's the secret. Um, So it's not a particularly complicated job. I'm not acting like I'm managing a Fortune 500 company. I hire high schoolers, they're great, um, and they shave ice. But, but, as a boss regardless of how important it is, as a boss, I try to think about what my posture should be as a boss. How I, how am I called as a believer to be a boss to the people that are under me? What are the questions I should be asking? What should I be caring about? How should this practically look different for me than just random guy on the street selling shaved ice? I know there's so many of us. And so these are some of the things I just sat down and thought about. Here's some of the things that I try to do. Of course, I don't do them perfectly, but that I try to do that I think are helpful guidelines for people that manage other people. Uh, number one, I give the benefit of the doubt. I give the benefit of the doubt. So it's pretty hard for me not to assume motive. Maybe that's just me. But uh, it's pretty hard for me not to assume motive. I like to think I know what's going on. So when somebody calls me and they have an event and they say, hey, dude, car broke down, can't make it to the event, it's so easy for me to be like, I just don't want to come because you're in high school and you want to do something else on a Saturday. Um, But I try so hard not to assume that. I try to give the benefit of the doubt. I say, you know what? They may be lying to me, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's the first time. It's never happened before. Let's just try. Let's just let it go. I try to lead with questions, so I try not to walk into meetings thinking I know the answer. I try to ask. I try to just give them, hey man, I feel like this is what happened. Can you help me understand? Instead of, this is what's doing, this is what we're doing, this is what's changing, you're off, you need to stop. I, uh, I would rather always be too soft than too hard. I would always rather be too soft than too hard. Let me, let me explain what that means. I don't want to be either. Right? I want to be in the middle. I want to find the, the middle ground where I'm just disciplined enough and I'm you know, just graceful enough, whatever it is. But if I have to be one, if I have to either be the boss who is a jerk, who doesn't care, how, care about his employees, or the boss that's a pushover that gives people too many chances and just cares about people and loves people, I want to be that guy. I would rather be that guy. Because I think that guy cares more about the people's souls than the first. So if I have to pick, I want to be that guy. Number two, look inward before looking outward. Look inward before looking outward. So if an employee makes a mistake, my first question is always, what did I do wrong? What did I not do well? Did I explain the job well? Did I give them proper training? Did I give them proper expectations? Did I rush them into this job because it was better for me even though they weren't ready for it? I always want to ask the question, what should I have done differently before I say, you're wrong, you need to change, 
always. This is my practical application of, I want to remove the plank from my own eye before I try to remove the speck from my brother's eye. I know it's different. I know that they're not all Christians, but I want to always know I am a sinner. I am broken. I am biased towards myself. So how was I wrong? And I want people to speak into that. I try to ask people, hey man, I know that you don't sell shaved ice, but if you did, how am I wrong here? How am I off? What did I do wrong? How am I uh, assuming my authority here? How am I caring more about me and the bottom line than this person? I always want to look inward before I look outward. Number three, care about your employee's eternity. Care about your employee's eternity. This is all going to go away. This is a mist. That's the way the Bible talks about it. This is a vapor. Uh, what your employee is doing for you does not matter more than their eternity. Just doesn't. Just doesn't matter more. So I, I'm trying to have conversations about Jesus with my employees where it's appropriate. I understand there are lines. I'm trying to invite them into my life. I try to pray for them regularly. I try to, whether it's weekly or biweekly, have them on a list where I'm praying about them and wanting them to come to know Jesus. I will be more graceful. I will give somebody more chances if they don't know Jesus because I care about their eternity. So if me having to deal with them might result in them coming to know Jesus, that is a small price to pay than my bottom line. My bottom line is irrelevant compared to their salvation. Number four, show grace without ceasing. So the disciples walk up to Jesus and they say, how many times should we forgive him? Seven times seven. Jesus says, 70 times seven. And what he's giving out, what he's showing is this idea that we as a people, we as believers should show grace without ceasing. We should be the most forgiving people there are. Nobody else should hold a candle to how forgiving Christians are. So I think what that means practically for me as a boss is I should give my employees a lot of chances. Now, don't mishear me. I'm a boss of many, not a few. I don't have one employee. So grace for one cannot be condemnation for everyone else. Here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is if this guy who is working for me doesn't care and isn't figuring it out and isn't trying and doesn't want to be better, then it's actually the most loving thing I can do for my people on my team to fire him. I don't want to fire him. That's not what I want to do. But sometimes that is the only option I have. There is a weight and responsibility of, I have been given this team. I haven't been given this one. So sometimes you do have to make a hard decision and do something that is not seemingly graceful. But it's a balance. And I always, like I said in the beginning, I always want to lean towards soft instead of hard. So let's go back to verse 8 real quick. He says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Knowing that he is, and then in verse 9, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven. So what Paul's telling us there is, regardless of your position, whether you're a boss, employee, somewhere in the middle, you will give an account for your work. You will give an account for your work. Let me say it a little bit differently. God is our ultimate authority and you will answer to him about your job. 
you will answer to him about your job. Uh, For most of us, the truth is, regardless of your job, if you're like me and you sell ice in houses, if you're a mom, if you're a pastor, if you're a nurse, if you're an engineer, regardless of your job, you're probably going to work about 40 years, about 40 hours a week, right? It's about right. And so what that means is your working life will be about one-seventh of your life, about one-seventh. And if you're in Charlotte, those numbers probably skew more, right? So one-seventh of your life, you're going to be at your job. So we cannot be a people that say, I want to live for Jesus except for when I'm doing my job. Because that's a huge part of our life. I mean, other than sleeping and family, your job might be the thing you spend the most time doing. So of course it matters that you have an eternal perspective. Of course God's going to care about that. Being a disciple of Jesus, being under Jesus as king, means he wants all of your life. Not after you, get, you clock out. He cares about everything. He cares about the conversations you're having with your employees. He cares about how you treat your coworkers. He cares about how you honor your boss. He cares about how you honor your employees because he cares about you. He cares about your sanctification. It's nonsensical for us to believe that we cannot care about God in our workplace and somehow that will equal us being a more mature believer. We're throwing out 15 to 20% of our life right there. So we have got to have an eternal perspective on our jobs because our job is one of the greatest mission fields of our life. It's one of the greatest mission fields of our life. Your coworkers. For some of them, you will be the closest thing they ever get to to a church. You will get the closest thing they ever get to to talking about Jesus. And what, how missed opportunity is that is if we don't take that opportunity because we're afraid of being awkward or we're afraid of hurting our bottom line as a boss. I just think that pales in comparison to what we have been given, what we have been given before us, what we are called to be faithful with. So I want us to start asking the question, why does God have you where he has you? See, we believe that God is sovereign, right? God is in total authority. He controls everything, which means you're where you're supposed to be. At least right now, because if you weren't, you wouldn't be there, which means he probably wants you there for a reason. You being there is part of his kingdom plan to bring glory to the people around you. Hopefully for people to come to know Jesus because you're there. That boss that you don't like, you may be the way that boss comes to know Jesus. And we, when we start to have that view, when we start to think about it in that lens, how much less does it matter if our boss respects us or honors us? Of course, I would rather have a great boss who honors and respects me. And I do have a great boss. Tim is great. So, thank you. But, how much does that pale in comparison to their eternity. Even if you have to take a few, oh, yeah, they were a little bit harsh on me. See that as an opportunity to pray for them, to love them. Start praying for opportunities to talk to your coworkers. Start trying to find ways to talk to them about Jesus. Start talking about who you are outside of your nine to five. Uh, Stop seeing your job primarily as a means of fulfillment. Here's what I mean by that. I think that can be misunderstood. What I'm not saying is that your job shouldn't be fulfilling. I think it can be fulfilling. I think it can be good, and I think that's a beautiful thing. But what I am saying is, your life isn't about you. It never has been. So to think that your job is primarily about you 
would really not make sense with the rest of the Christian walk. Your life isn't about you, so of course your job isn't about you. It's about Jesus. Your job primarily is about glorifying God, first and foremost. Fulfillment, beautiful thing. I hope we all find it in our careers, genuinely, is secondary. That is secondary to loving God and loving the people around us. I think we need to start asking the question, how can we be witnesses and disciples in our normal jobs? Be a little bit more bold. I was, uh, I was walking uh, down the street, this is about two years ago, and there was this guy at Home Depot, and <laughs> every time somebody walked in, he said something to the effect of like, Jesus loves you, you know, and handed out a card. And so, you know, I hope you come to church with us and stuff like that. And I'm going to be honest, that stuff makes me uncomfortable. Just does. And so I walked in, he says this thing to me, and I was kind of like, ah, I don't know that I love that. It's a little weird. It's a little awkward. And I was with Tim, and Tim said, I'd rather have that guy, though, right? I'd rather have that guy who is at least trying and doing everything he can to try and love people and be evangelical and invite people into the kingdom of God than someone who's not even trying because it's awkward. We can, we can coach awkward, right? We can work with that. We can work with trying. You can't teach anybody to try. It's one of the greatest skill sets. If you just care, just care a little bit. So that, that's what... I think we're called to. Uh, I'll say it differently. God is far less concerned with how passionate you are about your job and far more concerned with your faithfulness to love and follow him in it. And I think we miss that in modern American culture, in Western society. I think we think we're supposed to love our job and it's supposed to be amazing, it's supposed to fulfill us, and then God's the nice on top. And I hope you get that too. But I think God cares a lot more that you are loving and praying for your coworkers, that you are honoring the people around you than that you love your job. I think that matters a lot more in the eternal spectrum. Last thing, we serve a God in ultimate authority. We serve a God in ultimate authority. That's so much good news because we serve the God who's in control. So we don't have to love our jobs. We don't have to find our identity in our jobs because we find our identity in our King, in our Savior. So we get to just do our best. We get to love the people around us and work for the good of His kingdom. That can be our identity. That can be who we are. We can be the people who love God, even if we don't like our job. We can be the people who always do our best, even though it's mundane. And I think... I think that God will honor that. I think, he will, I think He will use that for the expansion of His kingdom. I think we see that throughout the Scriptures, that if we are faithful, God will honor that faithfulness. Maybe not always the way we want to, but I think He will meet you there. I think He will meet us there as a people. Let's pray. Hey, God. Thanks for who you are that you are a God who is sovereign and in control, that you care about us so much more than what we do for work. 
that we know, regardless of our situation and where we are and what we're doing, that you love us and care for us deeply and you are working in us, that you have promised to make us look more like you. Thank you that you care about our coworkers. Thank you that you care about our boss who doesn't care about us and that you're working in them too. That you're consistently bringing people to yourself, not because we did anything, not because we deserved you, but because you loved us. Amen. Amen.